0: And Lord, we ask as we move to the preaching of your word, would you send your grace? Would you send your grace to anoint the preaching, Lord? And would you send your grace to anoint our ears to hear? Come with power, Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, church. This morning we're going to continue on through the book of Acts. And we've found our way all the way to chapter 11. And we've been working through this story of this amazing vision that Peter has and through um, the transformation of Cornelius and his household and how they're welcomed into the kingdom. And so we've come to chapter 11 where we sort of recap and complete the whole story. And I'm just going to begin by saying that there there is fresh good news for us this morning. It is a wrap-up, but there, the Lord has such good news for us this morning. And so we're on page 1709. Chapter 11, let's start at verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Starting from the beginning... Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. And right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptizes with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so if God gave them the same gift that he gave to us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objection, and they praised God, saying, So then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. So, this is the third time that we've heard the story of Peter's vision. We heard it once when it happened, and we heard it again when he and Cornelius connected with their visions, and we're hearing it again as he tells the church in Jerusalem. And we've heard the story of Cornelius and his household coming to faith and into the kingdom twice now, once when it happened, and once now that Peter is retelling the story again. And I want to be very clear that Luke is not just being redundant. He's not just repeating himself. Luke is clearly outlining for us a story of three conversions. Now we think about conversions as being that one moment when people turn and come to the Lord, right? There's a lot more going on here. So we're walking through Acts. And when Jesus left in Luke, he said, I'm going to heaven, but when I go, I need you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And you're going to be my witnesses through the power of this Holy Spirit that has come upon me and that I will send to come upon you. And so far, we've walked the book of Acts and we've watched this happen, right? The church in Jerusalem is baptized in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and they spread to Judea and to Samaria. And we are coming to the very ends of the earth. People are being converted, And Peter is the very last person that we would think needs a conversion today. Peter's been following Jesus the whole time. But the fact of the matter is that Peter is given a vision that produces a conversion. Peter is up on the roof in Joppa and he is hungry. Last week, Pastor Gina asked us, are you hungry for God and for his kingdom? And he is up on that roof hungry Things have gotten kind of crazy. This, this kingdom is spreading, and we've got this guy, Paul, who's been converted. And we're meeting all these people that aren't Jews that we've never met before. Lord, what is going on? What do I do? What's next? How is this kingdom moving, and how do I cooperate? And the Holy Spirit answers with a vision of a sheet that comes down from heaven. And we've walked through this story before, and there's something to it that has to do with Jewish custom and the New Covenant that those things are being broken in Jesus in the new covenant. But more than anything, this story has to do with an expanding of God's kingdom. Because if that great commission to the ends of the earth is going to happen, it's going to have to include people that aren't Jews, that haven't been circumcised, and that don't know that they need to tithe their food or cleanse their food. And so to confirm this vision, the minute Peter has it, what happens? The Holy Spirit says, Hey, Peter... There's men at the door that happen to be Gentiles, and they're coming for you, and I need you to go with them. And this implies that you're gonna sit with them, and you're gonna eat with them, and you're gonna preach to them, and you're gonna spend time with them, and that's not unclean. Jesus came for all. Do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And so Peter goes immediately with these men. Peter is converted. He has been shifted to one way of thinking, to think more like the kingdom. So then he goes to see Cornelius, and we've got this second conversion. Cornelius is also hungry for God and his kingdom. We read that Cornelius is a righteous man, that he gives to the poor, that he's constantly worshiping, that he's what we call a proselyte. He's a non-Jew who has converted to the way of Judaism as a way of seeking God. Cornelius is hungry for God. He is obsessed with God. And so Cornelius has this vision to send his men to go to Joppa to bring him to Caesarea. And last week, Pastor Gina pointed out that Cornelius was so hungry for the kingdom of God that he brought in all of his friends and his family to hear the good news of God. And so he brings Peter in. And before Peter can even start preaching, the Holy Spirit falls. Now, this is every pastor's dream. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The spirit of God falls. Just further confirmation. Peter never woke up one day and busted out the yellow pages of Jerusalem and looked for this man named Cornelius. Okay. This is all directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Peter did not even know Cornelius existed. He's being obedient and his mouth has not even opened. And God is here and the spirit is here. And they are breaking out in manifestations of God that can't be contained in English. And they are giving glory to God. Cornelius and his household have been converted from Judaism and from feeling subpar, because they're not Jews, to finding a home in the kingdom and being anointed in the Holy Spirit. But there's another conversion in this story. And this is arguably the reason that Luke wrote this part. And it's a little scary to think about because it's the conversion of the church. You don't really think about a church needing conversion. Churches convert other people. They don't do conversion. But Peter shows up at Jerusalem, and the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem have heard some rumors. They've heard some rumors that their brother Peter had been spending time with unclean people, and he'd been eating their unclean food. And this is a problem, because thus far there has been a road map to salvation, and it looks a little bit like this. You are a Jew, and you are circumcised, and you follow the rules. And then once you hear the gospel, you believe, and you are baptized with water. And then we come and lay hands on you like what we saw in Samaria, and you are baptized in the Spirit. How can you get from A to C if we don't have the actual part of A? It doesn't happen. And so they're upset. They've got their eyes on human action. What has Peter done? Instead of looking at what the Holy Spirit has done and what God has done. And so instead of getting defensive, Peter tells his whole story. And he's like, guys, I know. I know this is bizarre. It blew my whole mind apart too. This man had a vision and I had a vision and the visions came together and then the Holy Spirit fell and I was just standing there. And this was God. What was I supposed to do but to baptize them into water so that they might also have a seal of the covenant of belonging to the kingdom? And when the brothers hear this, what are they going to do? See, Peter is a trusted disciple. Peter practices wise discernment, and he says, This happened, and I remembered the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to baptize with water. John baptizes with water, but this spirit baptism is coming. You see, the spirit of God is the spirit of Jesus, and God never, never contradicts himself. Ever. The word of Jesus came true in this moment. The great commission that he had promised is coming to the very ends of the earth. The church is being converted to understand that they are no longer confined to their traditional Jewish identity. They are converted to understand that this kingdom commission of Jesus would be fulfilled, and it would need to include people who were unclean, people who were Gentiles. And the kingdom would need to expand beyond their custom. And perhaps most importantly, the Holy Spirit must lead and the church must follow. Because there is no way that Peter could have orchestrated this scene on his own, is there? We are dependent always on the Holy Spirit. So the nature of conversion, I don't really like that word conversion. I prefer the word turning. You see, people are going a certain way and just like a little kid who's wandering towards the lake, dad comes in and picks him up and turns him back towards the beach. It's a turning. People are walking in a certain way and in God's good grace he comes down and he turns. So if you look at Peter, Peter had to be turned to think about things within the confines of ancient Judaism, to be turned to see the kingdom. The church had to be turned to see the kingdom. And turning almost always requires repentance. And I don't know about you, but I really don't like the word repentance. Repentance is hard. Repentance hurts. And repentance pokes at something really deep. But repentance is God's gracious gift to us. It's his gift to the kingdom. It's his grace that comes down and says, you are walking on the way to death, and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to turn you to life. When I was going through the commentaries, a man named William Willimon said the following, Repentance, contrary to popular misconception, is not a heroic first step that I make toward Christ. Nor is it a feeling sorry for my sins. It's not about shame. It is the divine gift of being able to be turned toward the truth. Turning toward the truth about myself and my situation is completely and quite beyond my power to accomplish. And like Cornelius, I cannot repent or turn around On my own. So God does it for me. And in Christ, through his Holy Spirit, God has turned toward us and granted us repentance. And I think many of us can testify to this. When we came on board with the kingdom, when the Holy Spirit came to us, there's a whole lot of things about us that had to turn. Ways that we thought about him and about ourselves. Ways that we behaved. Things that we thought about one another. Things Needed to turn. But the good news, friends, is that to repent is to acknowledge that we were walking towards death and that we have a good and gracious Father who longs to turn us towards the way of life. This is the core of the kingdom, it's life. But there's one more aspect to conversion. Turning and conversion has a ripple effect on the kingdom of God. So because Peter turned, Cornelius was welcomed into the kingdom. And because Cornelius turned, all of Cornelius' household was welcomed into the kingdom And because of all of this turning, the whole church in Jerusalem was turned and converted. And friends, you and I are a byproduct of the turning that happened that day. We are not Jews. I don't tithe my food. But we have been welcomed into the kingdom of God because of that day and that turn. And as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I had this picture of of a gearbox and clocks and you can see a series of gears, and as they turn, they have implication on all the other gears that are attached to them. And as one turns, the other turns. And isn't this just a beautiful picture of the kingdom? Because friends, you are not saved and converted as the end game. The Lord loves us as individuals, but saving us is not the end game. He saved us for the purpose of His kingdom. And as He turns us, He plans for us to help turn other people to help others to turn into this big picture. You see this big wheel that's going around all of them? We are all within the kingdom, and together we work into that kingdom. So as we close, I've got a couple questions for us. If you are hungry for truth, and if you are hungry to know if you have a purpose, There is a gear plate in there with your name on it. And there is a purpose. Bible says, Seek and you shall find, and to come and taste and see that I am good. The Lord is good, and his ways are true. And if you seek him, you will find, and he will turn, and help us turn towards him. And so if that's you... Ask the Lord what that turning looks like. If you have been turned, but you're not feeling very much like an effective plate, (laughs) maybe that's your question this morning. Lord, what is my sphere of influence? Which way am I supposed to turn that others might be turned toward you? And I think the last question was the hardest for me. Am I willing to be turned? This morning we sang about Jesus saving us, and he saved us once and forever on that cross, but friends, he saves us every single day. And in Reformed circles, we call this the gift of sanctification. and It basically means that like a father, Jesus follows us around all day long, and through his spirit says, Nope, not this way. Don't say that. Don't think this way. Sanctification happens all day, every day, and Jesus saves us all day, every day. Are we willing to admit that we will never be fully converted until we see the other side of heaven? It's never done. Are we surrendered to be turned? And maybe that's our question. Lord, what areas of me have yet to be turned? Are there parts of me that still need to be converted. So that's a lot of questions, but I'm hoping that the Spirit has given you yours. So as I close, I just want to pray. So will you pray with me? Abba, I thank you for your grace that is present every day. I thank you that you were always good, that you were always gracious, and you were always gentle. So, Lord, I ask, would you lead and guide us as you continue to turn us more and more towards your kingdom and towards your truth? Lord, would you bless us as we evaluate our spheres of influence? Lord, and would you just continue to lead and to guide us and to use us to build your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen.